Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Kelly Outdoors. I'm going to switch microphones here, so one moment, please. Sorry, that thing started backing up. Give me some juice. We're going to have a, we have a very special guest with us tonight, Sean Mann, um, and he's on a cell phone, so our reception may not be the best um, for the show, but. Uh, You'll you'll enjoy the show, no doubt. Uh, Sean's been running like a one-armed paper hanger. People seem to think that call makers and, and guys that run companies like Sean's, uh, they only they only work during the you know hunting season. The rest of the year, they just lay around and drink mai tais and you know lounge around in the Bahamas and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of figured out these guys have real jobs that take a lot of time. So uh, he's sitting in his truck in the middle of Delaware. And Absolutely. most of you guys are aware of Delaware. It's about the size of a, a Texas stadium in Dallas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's sitting there. Anyway, um, Sean, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to be here, buddy. Well, let me ask you a question. Just out, out of curiosity's sake, I mean, Sean Mann was a, was a name that I knew when I was a lot younger growing up and you know, heard about your calls and stuff, and, and you kind of were – you know, East Coast and, and in that whole Maryland, Delaware area where, uh, I don't know, goose hunting was really, uh, what's the word I want to say? It, it was like that was where the, the mother of all goose hunting was at, okay? It's like on everybody's short list of things they want to do. Um, how did you get into the goose calling and call making business? I mean, well, you want the long version or the short version, buddy? Don't don't give me the Rick Dunn version. <laughs> I need a job. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, I, um, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny. I I'm the I'm the youngest five. I, I did. My dad was an outdoorsman, loved to hunt and fish, and as youngest male child in that family, I jumped into his back pocket and did everything I could do with that man. And um, and hunting was one of those things. And frankly, I remember the first time I heard a Canada goose, and that was about I was about four years old, and I begged my dad to just pull 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 the car over and let me sit there and listen to this flock of geese in the field. It was just a an awe-inspiring moment for me. And uh, then, you know, I nagged him and nagged him and nagged him and nagged him. And when I was five, he took me goose hunting. And and, uh, and my dad had a, opened a gun shop when I was about, oh, I don't know, about eight years, seven, eight years old. And so I got to hang out in there. And and when I w- as I was growing up, the goose population in Maryland was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And more and more hunters were coming from all over the world, frankly, um, to to hunt geese in Maryland. And part of that was because of our proximity to Washington D.C. You get people from this embassy and that embassy, and you know, this place and that place, and and they all kind of paraded through our store at one time or another. And um, my dad explained to me one evening that the folks who uh, the the poorly dressed folks that that brought the well dressed folks into the store were the hunting guys, and they actually got paid to take those people hunting. And I said, you know, I asked them where I sign, where to sign up, and that's kind of the that that was kind of the end of it for me. You know, I I um I caught on with the guide service when I was really fairly very young. Actually, my dad had uh, my dad's hunting was curtailed due to some health issues. He had a major heart attack, and his hunting was kind of kiboshed. And I um. I found a guide service that would let me clean out blinds and paint decoys and do that kind of work just so I could be close to hunting. Um, started guiding for them. Took my first clients when I was 15. Uh, worked my way, you know, through high school and college and all that and guiding and continued to do it. But uh, when the boss man said, hey, we're going to the world championship, come on up and watch me win, you know, I jumped in and, and – uh, Dad dared me to enter, and I entered the contest, finished fourth in the world. You know, gosh, I mean, I was eating up with it before, but it just got just got more and more and more into my blood. So you went up there, you entered the contest, and you got fourth? Is that what you just said? Yeah, I've never been to a calling contest in my life. I didn't even know that they existed. And and my boss's name is Bob Ewing, and he goes by Bunk, Bunky. And um, he's still around. He's... he's he might be around 60. I'm 51. Um, and uh, he taught me a great deal about goose hunting, a great deal about goose calling. Um, he said, come on up, support the company. Uh, the more shirts we have on stage, the better. Uh, so I went up, you know, cannon fodder, and somehow got lucky, and they liked what I did. 
kid, and I ended up fourth. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> no kidding. I, 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 I heard you say fresh, all that. I think I was a freshman in college. When that, wow, that's amazing. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a freshman like, in college, paying my tuition, paying my tuition with guiding money. Um, you know, I, I just I felt it was important to, you know, get a get an education after high school. Just just had that in my mind and. Um, so I worked my way through school, tidying and all that, and then uh, got some of those whatever people want to call them, those real jobs that they have out there. Yeah. And, uh, and did some of that for a while, but I was always I was always guiding on the weekends or guiding whenever I could. Um, you know, started in uh, the contest things that way, where I ended up so so lucky. You know, the horseshoe hurt a little bit, but it was it got me <laughs> to fourth in the world, and then um, I went the next year. I was fourth again. I went the next year. I was third. Um, and by then, I mean, I had been tinkering with calls since I was a little kid. In fact, the joke around the house was, um, you know, dad always wondered where his goose calls were. Right. And, and I was always taking them and trying to figure out what made them work and figure out why I couldn't make them sound like geese. Well, you know, a lot of people, and this is everywhere, um, you know, have good instruments in their hands and just don't know how to play them if you want to put it in that perspective. You know, I have a lot of guitars, but I couldn't play one of them. Right. And uh, it's just a dream of mine, right? So I bought, you know, buy one here, buy one there. If I don't spend the time with it, I'm not going to learn to use it. So so as a youngster, I was taking calls and basically you know, trying to make them sound better because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that I didn't know how to use them. Then I got on with, with, uh, with Bunky's guide service, and the man, you know, is really a great goose caller. And that was, gosh, a long time ago, <laughs> 30, 30, 37 years, 30, almost 38 years ago that I started working for him. And then, you know, 36 years ago that I started guiding for him. And, um, you know, and I listened and, and paid attention and he taught and so on. And I was still messing with the calls, trying to get them, you know, to, to get better, you know, trying to trying to improve an instrument that I really wasn't, you know, that proficient with yet. But then I became more and more proficient with it and then, uh, uh, you know, started to actually make some headway with call design. But um, but the, the the joke around the house, you know, was, hey, you know, Dad was always saying, where are my goose calls? And I'd always say, geez, Dad, you need to take better care of your stuff. Well, when I moved out of the house, I, this is one of my favorite stories, sorry. When I moved out of the house, Dad was helping me move my furniture. And we got to the box spring, you know, under the mattress. Uh-huh. Picked it up, and there were two shoe boxes full of all those calls that Dad couldn't find over the years in pieces. <laughs> he should have seen his face. He just looked down at him, and he said to me, "I take better care of my stuff, huh?" <laughs> so, you know, so it's just a hobby going wild. I mean, you know, I was a, you know, uh, uh, one of my dearest friends from way back when works with me now. His name is Mark Beauty. He is an incredible guy, one of the best drummers I ever met. He, he's not a hunter, but he works with me because he's a great, great friend, a very conscientious guy, really good at what he does, and he helps us with certain aspects of our business. And it's so funny because we were doing something yesterday, and Mark stopped me and goes, you're like a mad scientist. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're just always into something. You're always trying to make something do something. You know, you just can't ever leave well enough alone. And that's kind of me, and that's kind of that's where the calls that I make come from. Is I can't leave well enough alone. My dad used to say, uh, you know, Easter Shore is a great goose call. You know, when are you going to stop fiddling with it and trying to make it better? And I said, when it sprouts feathers and flies to the north side of the house in the spring and the south side of the house in the fall, I'll stop messing with that design. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a cool story. That's a cool story. Hey, just a real quick question: On your cell phone, are you talking on the microphone, or are you are you just using it like a regular cell phone? Just using the regular cell phone. Okay, because it's really it's really breaking in and up, in and out. But really? Yeah, that's all right. We'll keep going. We'll keep going. It's all good. Radio right. gold. <laughs> so, well, what was your what was when when you made your first goose call? All right. Yep. Uh, which one was it? What was your very first one? Eastern Shoreman. Okay, and that the long so, call. 
Right. For those of you that don't know, it's, it's a real long call. It's more like what they would call a goose flute, correct? Yeah, most people refer to them as flutes, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. a bit different than that because it's actually longer than what, what was traditionally or what is still traditionally kind of a flute. But, yeah, long calls are kind of get lumped into the flute thing. So, yep. And you know what? When you get to looking at, at call makers out there, there's, I mean, besides you, I don't know of anybody that still makes those. I mean, it, yeah, I, I really don't either. I mean, there's some, you know, super mass produced stuff. But, uh, right. But, we, you know, it's funny because what happens is that, that, you know, the Eastern Shoreman is a call that you can do a ton of stuff with. And the, um, and, and in fact, more world championships have been won with that call than any other call. So that model, right? No matter how many, and we've been, we've been at it for 28 years. And the, um, the interesting thing is that when I get somebody who's been blowing a short read, you know, one-on-one and show them how I blow a shoreman, they generally, they generally find that they can work the call very much like a short read. They don't, you don't have to grunt though, and you don't have to, and you don't back pressure the call. You just, it's just rap, you can use the call in rapid fire fashion. So you can do a whole lot with it. Uh, we've, we've never actually, we've never actually found the last note the call will do because somebody's always coming up with something new on it. Right. You know, well, so the fact so, that, you're, you know, that you're still making them after 25 years in the same exact design, that says. Well, yeah, lot. actually, 20, 28 in, uh, you know, the, there's there's one very slight variation uh, you know, that was moved that we moved away from in the very earliest designs, um, which are the ones that folks are collecting so so avidly now. Um, but the uh, but yes, that call in its basic form is is 28 years old and i still have one in my hunting bag all the time um you know just people all over the place are using the call because it's so easy to use i mean you pick the thing up and just blow a little air through it and it sounds like a goose you know, right it's gonna make a goose like sound then if you then you can do anything else you want to with it you can use your hands and put back pressure on it you can use your voice and, and put, you know, that kind of sound in it. You can use your tongue. You can move your tongue up and down. You don't have to play it behind your teeth, you know, and so on and so forth. It's just a very, very personal call. So little kids can use it, you know, uh, adolescents, adults, older people. It's just a call that everybody can pick up and get some use out. Well, I, I know that that, style, that that style of call has been around, like I said, for a long time. And, you know, the one thing, I don't know much in this industry, according to Trevor Shanahan, but um, one thing I do know is that the stuff that's still around, uh, it's because it's around because it works, you know. Because it seems like every call maker, I mean, everyone is like, what are we going to do this year? What's going to be our new thing this year? And, I mean, I know you guys have got new stuff and new colors coming out all the time, just like everybody else does. But um, those... uh, the, those Eastern Shoremen have been around for a long, long time, and if they weren't if they weren't working, they wouldn't be on your on your website, you know. That's right, that's so. right. And then you know, we make a lot of different calls, and that one call is still in whatever form. I mean, you know, we make it in acrylic, and we make it in fancy wooden models, and we make it in plain wooden models, and we make it in a molded model. Um, that model. You know, that that call, in whatever form you want to call it, you know, whether it's acrylic wood, whatever, is still our number one selling call. And we sell a lot of the other calls. Oh, um, yeah. But it's funny because, you know, and I think that it's kind of like, I, and I, I refer to guitars a lot simply because I never learned to play one and a lot of my friends know how to. But, uh, you know, you have, there's electric guitars, there's acoustic guitars, there's nylon string guitars, there's there's uh, slide, you know, lap steel slide guitars, pedal steel. There's so many variations of guitars, just as there are so many variations, you know, now there are so many variations of calls. There are a lot of different short reads. There are a lot of, uh, you know, there's still a bunch of resonant cavity, the old style calls out there. And then there are the flute calls and the variations within, and variations within each category. And the coolest thing about it, the thing that keeps me so excited about being able to do this, is that they're all valid. They all have their 
they, you know, they're just they're just like us, you know. But um, you know, whatever style you use, whether it's a, a short read or a super short short read, a, a long short read, you know, a, whatever it is that you choose, a flute, a conventional read style, you know, um, they all have their own voice. They all sound like the birds they're made to imitate, and, and they're all fun to use, fun to collect, to productive in the field at one time or another. Right. Well, you know, I, I know you know this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. A lot of our listening audience out there, they need to they need to understand something. When we just got done doing a show this last week, all right, and you know how the guys will always walk up to the table and they'll see a call and they'll say, "What does that one sound like?" And I'll say, "Take you know, take it for a run, see what it sounds like." No, no, no I want you to blow it. Okay, right. that first thing that goes on there is uh, okay. You don't want to blow it because you don't want to be embarrassed because you don't practice. You just buy a call and take it out to your garage and you try it for a few minutes and if you don't sound exactly like some guy you saw on TV or something, then the call's no good, you know. Um, there will be some of them that will pick it up and they'll go. They'll get right after it and a lot of times I'm reaching for a DVD <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to That's help right. them. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, people have got to be um, willing to understand that no matter what quality of call or what grade of call it is, you have to put in the practice time. If you don't, it, no, it's like if you had a $1,500 violin and a, and a Stradivarius side by side, and, and you didn't know how to play it, a violin, it doesn't matter, you know, which one's better or not, you know. That's exactly right. I mean, when when you were guiding, okay, I mean, I can I can understand. Um, first of all, I don't know how you made it through school while guiding, because that's a lot of work, and you know, hunting <laughs> seasons in the, in the fall. But. Well, you know what? Uh, it's, well, you know how you get to you get to schedule your classes, right? right? So um so I just I I basically made sure that I loaded up on summer courses to get rid of course stuff and then I scheduled so I had weekends. And Maryland's a little bit well, you know, hey, we've got gun issues all across the country going on now, right? Where they're trying to strip our gun rights away. So everybody knows that Maryland's goofy already with regard to the gun laws. You know, just as bad as New York and and, you know, and Chicago and all that other stuff. But another goofy idiosyncrasy with regard to the People's Republic of Maryland is, jeez, I didn't get off the soapbox, did I? Uh, is that we don't, we're going to let the hunt on Sundays uh, for those things. We get a couple of bones thrown to us now, thank goodness for the guys who are working for it, um, for, for deer and for turkey in certain places. But uh, we're not allowed to hunt Sundays, so... So your weekend hunting is Saturday, is or Friday, Saturday. So anyway, um, but I but I digress. Um, but with regard to the you know the, the practice and and the uh, you know as I said I referred to the guitars before you know my brothers can both play my sister can play, my sisters can play and so forth. You know it's the time that you put into it is the most valuable time and the most enjoyable time with regard to. But, you know, practicing on the calls. And, yes, I've been doing shows for 27 years, and most people will not blow the calls in front of us. Um, many people um, many people are just too shy to do it. And uh, what I can tell everybody out there is I really actually haven't met a person who can't learn to do it given a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a great deal of time. You know, 15 minutes a day will work wonders on your calling with whatever kind of call you're using. What I do suggest to almost everybody is that if you want to learn how to master a particular call, that you stick with the call that you want to master for a period of time. So, for example, you know, if you buy a new goose call because you like the way it sounded, uh, that you, you know, you leave the other ones that you have alone while you're trying to master that one. And some people think that that going in that direction will make them forget how to use what they already have. And I promise you that it doesn't make you forget how to use what you already have. It improves your calling overall. Okay. You know, uh, when people train. They do, you know, they some you know, they might walk, they might run, they might run long distance, they might do wind sprints, etc. 
post training stuff, it's the same on your calls. Your goose mm-hmm. calling helps your duck calling. Your duck calling helps your goose calling. This short read helps you with that short read. This flute helps you with that flute. This resonant cavity Canada goose call helps you with that resonant cavity Canada goose call, and so forth. So, uh, but but give each one the time that it's due, so that you can get kind of get your head around the idiosyncrasies of that particular instrument. Okay. Well, you started guiding when you were 15, okay, and your your mom and dad obviously were good with that. Um, is it having <laughs> dad never, was. your dad, dad was, was. <laughs> well? Obviously, your mom must have been too. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been doing it. Most moms, you know, they they hold the skillet in the family, you know, over the dad's head. <laughs> um, yeah. I've never I've never guided. Um, but the guys that have been on the show that have and talk about it, I mean, it's it's got to be a labor of love because that is some of the hardest work in the world. Um, a lot of people don't realize what all goes into that. I mean, the the getting up early, the getting the decoy set out, the the scouting, and all the all the stuff that goes with it, cleaning the birds, you know, yada yada yada. That was that's just crazy hard work. And like I said, I still don't I still don't know how you got through college doing that crap. To be honest with you, that's I didn't say I got great grades. Oh, okay. And how many years did it take you to get out of school? You, I wasn't on the team. college guy? <laughs> What's that? Where, did it take you 12 years to get out of college? No, it didn't. I got out. I got it in the in the north in four years, but uh, you know, as I said, I was I wasn't the valedictorian. But uh, you know, it, I I will tell you that you know, 51 years old, I've, I've been allowed to go hunting since I was five. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to my next hunt just as much now as I looked forward to my first hunt when I was five that I just had to go along on. I absolutely love seeing what the next day is going to bring, what the next day in the field is going to bring. And I think that, uh, you know, you say it's, you said labor of love, that's absolutely what it is because, you know, in fact, the, my, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I played in a band. Okay, I didn't play the guitar, I played the drums. Cause I didn't, you know, that's not really an instrument. That's a noise. But anyway, that's what I played. And today, we get paid less than we got paid when I was in high school. That also is a labor of love. Right. You know, in other words, there's just certain things that you better do because you love it. And dieting is one of them because. You know, I know a lot of people who died in a lot of places, and I know I don't know too many who are, you know, J. Paul Getty tax bracket people. It's not if you're doing it right, it would be awfully hard to make a lot of money doing it. Right. Because you've got to put in the time. I mean, the, the, you know, I had a guy service in Alberta for 14 years. Um, you know, and and the just the delivery side of that business, meaning the time that you spend actually putting the hunts on. It, you know, you're involved in about a 20-hour-a-day exercise, if you're lucky. Because if you're going to have the best hunt that you can possibly have, which is what I always want, you know, whether it's a limit shoot or not a limit shoot, I have the best hunt that I can have. So I'm going to burn every hour of daylight, either hunting or scouting. And, and frankly, I think scouting is the hunt, and then you set up and do a shoot. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But, but you know, my time was spent uh, running around, turning over every stone I could turn over, and that's what I still do here today. You know, I've guided in Maryland for a long, long, long time. Um, you know, if I'm not in the blind, running a hunt, I am on the road. Finding the next one, or the you know finding the best one, so it can be the next one. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, you know, it, it, then it comes down to, you know, is your gear squared away? Is your gear in working condition? Is your dog healthy? I can't tell you what a what just that alone is a chore. Uh, you know, to make sure that your dogs, you know, you got the greatest dog in the world. I mean, I love my dogs, and uh, you know. You, they they run in, they go retrieve a bird and come back with a with a nail through their paw. I mean, that's one thing I really better love it. 
Um, you know, I've just talked to so many people throughout the year because this is what I can talk about all year. And uh, as you can tell, I don't, I'm not scared of talking. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, hey, man, what's it like to be a guide? Well, you know what? It's awesome. Yeah. Guarantee it. If you're doing it right, you will sleep at night and go to bed, you know, Good yeah, you'll bed. sleep for five hours when you get up and do it all over again for 60 days. <laughs> and at the end of that time, you're probably going to have a heart attack, you know? Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's just, I, I just love it. I, folks asked me, you know, well, don't you meet a lot of yo-yos out there? <laughs> I think they get, I think they meet a yo-yo every time they show up. I mean, come on, you got to be crazy about something. I'm crazy about this. So, do I meet a lot of yo-yos? No, actually, I don't. I meet. I get to meet a lot of people every year, no matter you know whether I'm at a show or, or I'm putting on a hunt or whatever it is. And and most of them, you know, most of them really like it, really pay attention, really have something to offer. You know, if they can afford to hunt with a guy, they're probably doing fairly well in their business, and it's probably worth listening to them as much as. Well, if they if they can afford to to hunt with a guide service, you know, they're they're taking it seriously most of the time because you know it it's not cheap, you know, and, and if it's if it's a bunch of guys that want it in a contest, well, that may be an entirely different thing. But um, <clears throat> most of the guys that I've been around and, and talked with and had anything to do with, they were pretty serious about what they did, and and they didn't uh, they didn't tolerate fools for very long, you know. That's right. Uh, That's right. But, um, when when you got into the call business and and you, at what point did you go? You know what? I want to make calls too for a living, not just for my own use, but I want to make them and sell them. I mean, was it just you already you already knew you were going to do that? Is just or when you were farting around destroying all your dad's calls or? Well, you know? it's funny. I uh, you know I was I was when I was destroying all my dad's calls. I or I should say I taking <laughs> care of them for him. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Preserving them and, and tuning them up for them. And, you know, that's right. Retrofitting them, re, you know, uh, yeah. reprogramming them. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, when I was when I was on that journey, and, or when I was beginning this journey, I guess you said, um, there were a, a few people that I got to meet, and you know, larger than life uh, for me at the time, and, and were good friends. I met Glenn Scobie in Easton at the at the Waterfowl Festival, and he was a heck of a nice guy. And uh, you know, and, and a, a number Harold Knight, David Hale, a number of people who and, you know this is in the early '80s, um, who were very you know who were very much you know in the biz. And um, and I I would you know when I went to a contest, uh, I was blown a call that I you know my hunting call was a tricked out call. And um, so I was. I had shared some of my ideas with uh, with Glenn Scobie, I shared some with with Lane Hale, I had shared some with Jim Holt. Um, and you know, it was interesting because because the guys around home really liked my modifications, and um, but when I shared those ideas with the guys who made calls, they weren't much interested. They just wanted to kind of make what they made. And that was okay. That's fair. I understand that now that I'm making calls. But um, so when I got to the design I liked the best, which was the Eastern Shoreman, uh, and I still love it, um, I didn't share that idea with anybody. I kept that idea for myself, and I said, you know what? I've, I've, I've you know, I've offered everything to these guys, and they just want to do what they're doing. I'm going to do this myself. If it works, you know, if the geese like it, if the hunters like it, if I do well with it in the contest, I'm going to make them and sell them and just see what happens. Because at that time, the only real quote-unquote custom call that I knew of was um, Paul Kingian call, which was Coca-Bolo and $85 and, you know, crazy. But, well, actually, I guess I, I bought a Heidelberg or two. But... Um, or later bought a Heidelbauer. So anyway, I, I figured, you know, well, if it works and people want to buy some, I'll make a few. But it was hobby. I mean, it was straight up hobby. It was actually, um, you know, it was actually a a hobby slash second job 
until 1997. I mean, I was making calls as fast as I could make them, but I worked a job during the day and went home in the evenings and, and made calls until I fell asleep, you know, until I couldn't make them anymore. So um, I, I took a big leap uh, from that in 97 when I started my guide service in Alberta and, and started making all the calls full time. Huh. Well, did 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 you ever run into Charlie Hess? Yeah, absolutely. I met Charlie, I met Keith and Charlie in Paducah, Kentucky, in 1986. January 86. Um, Harold and David had a Harold, Harold Knight and David Hill had a uh, put on a show, and that had the national. But yes, I met Charlie there. Yeah. Huh. Well, he passed away. It, it's been two years ago this month. He was, he was a nice guy. And uh, yeah, when you said that about uh, Knight and Hale, I mean, you were showing them their, your stuff and talking to them about your stuff. I, I just thought to myself, well, I know an, uh, another old boy that kind of invented the short read that made that mistake. You know. Right. Well, and you know that's you know that the um, yeah, and that, you know. Everything is based on something. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go down that path because I'll get off on a tangent. Right. Oh yeah. There's too much politics and gun control. Exactly. Way too much. There's way too many good (laughs) and positive things to talk about. You know. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your your line of calls you got going on this year. First of all, before we go into that, I want to ask you, what is the most horrible color of acrylic that you ever got talked into into using that still haunts your dreams to this day? Oh gosh. There's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are. I mean, you know the the whole, uh, you know the whole acrylic thing to me is is two hundred dollars sneakers. You know, right? I, I I hate to sound so cynical. I hate to sound so old. I'm fifty one years old, and I like camouflage. You know. I like I like hunting colors. So when it comes to the to the acrylic thing, gosh, the worst color, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I I still scratch my head over all the fl- the fluorescent light gathering stuff. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're trying to hide here. Um, so you can you can pick one. <laughs> that was always a big concept of my dad's when I was a kid. Don't look up at the birds you're supposed to be hiding. You know? yeah, I got this fluorescent exactly. neon green goose call, Dad. What am I supposed to do? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, while I appreciate the sonic properties of acrylic, because it does have, it does offer its own sound palette, um, the, the color thing is just, you know, all pretty, pretty well lost on me. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't like or dislike anyone any more than the other, I guess. But the brighter, the less I like it. How's that? Okay. Well, I was just curious. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a question I ask call makers every now and then. Um, the, the one that stands out in my mind that this guy, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I've still got 250 feet of bubble gum laying here. I would I would give somebody <laughs> money to take it off my hand. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, that would have to be. See, you know, and I never, I don't think I ever ran into that in the flesh. So, oh, thank goodness. Huh? The, the person that cut a fat hog on that deal was the salesman that, that won the bonus from the company that made the, made the curly crop. Well, and, you know, the worst part about that whole thing is that, you know, it all falls under the the umbrella of the more outrageous, the better, right? Right. So, you know, like reality TV. But, um, you know, the, the the more outrageous, the better, and I want to have the only one. Yeah, well, that doesn't happen, you know. Yeah. It's, that, that's the it's, problem with mass marketing golf. And and now I, now the thing that really, oh, God, it just makes my, my blood run cold is not, not just the outrageous colors, but how many wild laser designs can we get on a call? I mean, every square inch of these things is covered up with some laser design, it seems like. Yeah, that's that's I yeah I'm kind of I'm kind of mystified by that as well. I you know it's it's funny because for me it's about sound and you know and I can appreciate the artistic side of it 
But if you know, if all the engravings just to uh to to dress the hog a little differently, to dress the pig a little differently. Um, you know, make it look a little same thing look a little different. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But hey, people are allowed to do whatever they want to do. I mean, look at the vehicles that run up and down the road. Look at the and you know some of that some of that stuff's pretty cool. Um it's cool it's it's interesting to see what can hop out of people's minds. Right. I agree that yeah, you know, let's see if we can let's make something out of it horrendously expensive pearl acrylic and then engrave it and fill it with a flat color so you don't see the pearl acrylic anymore. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. But everybody's got their own way. It's interesting how your mind works. <laughs> That's the beauty of it, isn't it? <laughs> it's just wicked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, see, oh, I'm, you know, it's funny. I am, I'm one of these guys, you know, I grew up in a time when, when, in fact, when I was when I graduated from college and went to work, people didn't have computers on their desks. So, you know, a, a, a gun had a wooden stock. A pole was made of wood. The mm-hmm. prettier the wood, the better. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've learned to appreciate all of the different things that think that you make things from. All the shotguns I shoot, plastic stocks, yeah. and don't rust, and they're camouflage, and you know, so on and so forth. So I, I you know, look, I can change with the times. Um, you know, I made my calls from wood. Now I make them out of a bunch of different things. And, um, you know, we mold some and we turn some and we make some from wood. We make some from acrylic. We make some from turn from different plastics that are turned. Um, so, so I'm good with all that. But at the end of the day, I really want those materials and things to make a sonic difference. I want to hear a difference from those things because otherwise I'm just dressing the pig up differently. Exactly. Well, let's let's talk about some of your new calls. I know you got some calls there with you. What talk about some of your new calls you got coming out this year? Well, this year we got there's three there's there's four things that are that are happening this year new call wise. One's a new old call, and then then three of them are are different uh, are different you know totally different models. Um, the new old call um, 2013 is the 20th anniversary of the Eastern Shoreman Express. That was the, uh, and the, the story behind that whole thing is that I won the first world championship in 85, won, won the second in 86, was making calls one at a time, you know, uh, on my lathe at night when I got home from work every day, had a constant back order of, of a year, my first five years, and then it was basically around six months for a few years after that and, and so forth. So, it was just totally grueling, and uh, the guy who molded my, uh, my my internal parts said, hey, you know, I can make your whole call molded, and, and it'll sound good. And I said, there's no way it'll sound good. He said, I'll tell you what. You bring me what you want it to look like. If I can make, if I can come up with the materials to make it sound just the way you want it, you buy the mold. If it doesn't, I eat the, I eat the mold. So, that's where the Eastern Terminal Express came from. So I didn't have to stand over the, mold, the uh, lathe all the time, and we started making molded calls in addition to the wooden calls. So anyhow, long story, but uh, that was uh, that was 20 years ago, and the Eastern Terminal Express, which is our long molded call that is in a lot of catalogs um, and on our website, uh, is the call that I used in 1995 to become the first World Goose Calling Champion of Champions. So. Big year in my, you know, in my mind. We had our 25th anniversary of the original Shroman a few years back. Um, now, 20th anniversary Express Shroman. So what we're doing with that is uh, we have we're doing a bird's eye maple exclusive. Cabela's was our first dealer for that back in the day. Uh, in recognition of that partnership, we're doing uh, 20th anniversary bird's eye maple uh, Eastern Shroman Express. We're also doing a what I call the XP. One, which is an express, which is the shape of the express call, but it's in a turned poly. So it's a CNC machined poly. So it's very precise, really cool call. Um, we're doing it in uh, olive green, um, blasted black, and uh, 
Max 4, um, and, that, and that's that call. Uh, they'll be on the website soon. I'm, I'm finalizing prototypes this week, actually. Um, in the duck call uh, side of things, we've got uh, Little Big Duck, which is uh, going to call it Little Duck, but then everybody was, I was talking about Peel. Uh, it's a little single recall, super easy to blow, which is a really commanding style of, of, of or commanding sound, and um, it's referred to as barking. And so Ma Barker is is our new uh, duck call. It's kind of the, the Ma Barker was uh, for those who are too young to know it was the the head of a of a, uh, a bank robbery gang way back in the day. So you know she was the she was the top of the Barker gang. So this duck call is in my mind the top of the Barker gang. So uh, really easy to blow. That's the the big difference between it and the uh, cut down. Is it super? Well, it doesn't require a lot of care. A lot of, makes a lot of great duck sounds and uh, is easy to use. And then uh, the super shorty, which is uh, it's, a, it's my shortest of the short reads that I make. And it's just a neat new goose call that uh, everybody I've, I've had tried just, just loves it. Really easy to blow. Uh, a lot of different goose sounds out of it. You can tune it up really high for the smaller birds like the cacklers and things. And you can, you can tune it you know, fairly near mouth. You know, and then there's about uh, two inches of of uh, call after the read. You know, two inches of of insert that the that the yeah. read assembly is in. I, I had a guy ask me to build him a, a really super short short read, and mm-hmm. by super short, I asked him how long. He goes, "It's got to be under five inches." I thought, okay, well, I got two inches for a barrel and two and a half inches for an exhaust, that's four and a half inches. And when it's all put together, it came out to just under, you know, a little bit under four. The amount of space devoted to calls in catalogs in 1985 was, well, frankly, that most most companies didn't devote any space to calls in their catalogs. Uh Most calls were 12 bucks. Um, You know, today you can just do Crazy trying to figure out what the difference in this, that, and the other is, and what does this, what does this term mean, or what does that term mean? Um, you know, when it comes to my call line, the, the, uh, if, if I make something, you know, if I make a model, if I if I come out with a new model, it's because it's something that, that I think is going to help me in the field. So it's not just well, you know we got to have something new this year. You know, the, the little big ducks and mouth bark are just really cool. The duck calls are so different from the duck calls that I currently make. They fit really nicely into the way I hunt. Um, you know, the, the, the super shorty is, I'm a one-handed, well, I, everybody should be a one-handed duck caller. I'm a one-handed goose caller. And I've, I've been a one-handed goose caller forever. And uh, so, you know, th- there's so many folks who teach um, how to use a short read by putting two hands up on the call and cutting the air off, you know, back pressuring the call. <clears throat> and everything that I make in a goose call doesn't all all of my goose calls or or, or none of my goose calls, I guess it's how I should say, require back pressure at all. You can use your hands on the end to change the sound, but you don't have to use your hands on the end to make the sound. Right. Um, you know, because my right hand is 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 designated for my flag. So, you know, when I go to the blind, when I go to the goose blind, which is usually, you know, it's a pit or a layup line, sometimes, you know, a head or stand-up line, um, my left hand has, has got a call in it and my right hand has got a flag. Just huh. the way we grew up. Okay. Hey, I've got a few people sitting in the wood have to understand that um, sometimes the, the wood will explode on you. You know, um, it may have a void in it somewhere. I mean, I see a lot of that with with uh, stabilized woods. You know, when you get the burls and stuff, and you'll yeah. run into a pocket, and all of a sudden, you know, your 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 lathe catches it, and bam, stuff just just like a grenade going off. So that's right. Anyway, cool. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we run a risk with that, but but we've been able to you know to, to deliver on on that stuff most of the time. And and if we have you know if if a uh, if a piece explodes, then we just tell people. Yes. You know. Okay. But but what it's you know it's like a friend a taxidermist friend of mine said to me this morning at 
don't have time to do taxidermy anymore, but, you know, still have people to drop them, drop off birds or drop off deer or drop off whatever. And, and I tell them that if you're leaving it here, you got to, you know, understand that I, 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 I will, I'll, I'll do it when I can do it. Okay. So, you well, know, I'll tell you what. Around, um, turn around on a, block, on a block of wood can be, you know, can be a little bit of time depending upon what I'm wrapped up in. Right. Well, the best thing for him to do would be to contact the office and tell you what he would tell oh, your, yeah. your folks there and go from there. So, um, yeah, he indicated that it's going to be. Uh, have to take the project on. You, you know, I used to, I used to just go, please go do that, but now, uh, now I'm, I'm better. Okay. Well, he he's indicating that what he wants to say. <laughs> It sounds. It's. I tell you, the bad thing about cell phones and it's been oh, yeah. a plague. It just distorts the crap out of everything. I mean, you can get a general good idea. A lot of times, what people do when they have their cell phones when they're trying to do it over cell phone, they'll they'll take about ten steps away from their cell phone so they can really. Uh, it it it. I don't know what it does to the to the microphone. It's just over modulate. These digital microphones over modulate. Yeah. You know, clip, I guess, is what they call it. But uh, yeah, you know what? Let me see if I can get away from this. They're going to be standing out in the middle of the woods in Delaware blowing a duck call at night. That's right. Well, you know, I'm in a Wawa parking lot, but hang on a sec. Oh, that's perfectly normal then. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me or not now. Actually, you sound better now than you have for most of the show. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, well, thank you, doctor. <laughs> Okay, cool. And the thing that's so neat about this call is that it takes so little store again to get back out where it was. <laughs> that's the super shorty, and I've, just the contrast of a, a regular shorty is about, oh, it's about an inch longer, but, but the distances from your mouth, et cetera, are quite a bit different, but it's and it's a deeper call. <laughs> two, would you would you be grabbing if you just the first one, the first one, because yeah, the higher pitch pitched. call. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Could you all right? People use that phrase a lot. Traffic. Could you explain to people what exactly that means from your part of the world? Because that's where that all originated. Was over there in Delaware. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. Um, yeah. You know, running traffic, or you know, it, it means getting in a flyway, or or you know, just just hunting or calling to birds, trying to hunt birds that are not necessarily using the property, the spot to eat on. It's it's not being on the X. That that's what I refer to running, you know, running right. traffic. Okay. Um, the county that I grew up in, Talbot County, Maryland. You know, is a place where, you know, I, I, if you see a bird, it's in play. In other words, you know, you, you can probably you can probably work the bird if you can see the bird. The bird might not be eating there, may never have eaten there. And and actually, one of my favorite farms that we hunt, um, you know, it's right on a river. It's 400 acres, which is you know, out here, that's a decent piece of ground because we're such a small, you know, this was colonial America, so the farms right. were very small pieces of ground. So anyway, um, you know, the birds are very seldom on that particular piece of property, but we're successful there almost every day. You know, we shoot birds there almost every day, seeing birds that are not using your property. And uh, a lot of people think that you have to use you know, huge rigs of decoys and, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of noise. You know, everybody's got their own way of, of working in a in a traffic traffic situation. Um, 
our hunting seasons the past this past season that we just finished and the one before have been very very difficult uh you know, so but uh but but it's funny because you watch people you know and your and this happens everywhere you watch people and everybody does things differently my way of running traffic last year and this year uh i took a i took an opposite approach Instead of putting out bigger rigs of decoys, I put out smaller rigs of decoys. That's a little trick that we've used for a long, long time. And instead of calling a lot to the geese, we put the decoys out. And in some cases, and this you you kind of play, you have to play this off the birds. Um, when geese come out quiet, we are pretty quiet. If geese come out pretty vocal. We're pretty vocal, so we're mockingbirds. Yeah, right. We're, right. we're doing so. what they're doing, right? Right. And I took uh, a dear friend of mine who is a, you know, has been a caller and been a contest caller for years and years and years, to a spot this year that you know, uh, we just wanted wanted to get out. There were four of us in the blind, and I said, listen, we're going to go to this this spot. Uh, I'm not going to blow my call until I really have to. And I'm not going to put out a lot of decoys. So, you know, my, the last day of the season, for example, as, as I said, I was putting out smaller and smaller and smaller rigs. The, the, the rig that I used on the last day of the goose season was seven decoys. And seven. It, it was in a spot where the geese were not feeding. And I didn't call to birds to get them started. I actually put the decoys out and let the geese start themselves. And then when they got seven. inside of 100 yards and looked like they were going to hang up and not finish, I blew a couple really soft notes to them. Now that doesn't mean that if the geese were really vocal on a particular day, I wouldn't be vocal back to them. But uh, so you know, tra running traffic can be just a crazy, crazy thing. But it's what we do, and it's what we've all, everybody on the East Coast has learned to hunt that way. Huh. Did you say seven decoys? Seven. Seven. Okay. Well, seven know, very skinny decoys. You, you busted your hump on those. Hey, um, one of the guys in the chat room, his name is Jeff. He's from New Zealand, and he wants to know if you know there's heaps of eastern shoremen uh, that have been bought and, and sent off to New Zealand uh, through Cabela's. You got? <laughs> I love it. Yes, I, yeah, that, that's so cool. It's yeah. so cool. I, uh, hey, you know what? I think I need to go down there and verify that. Uh, you I believe what? you, Jeff, but I really want to come down and see it myself. <laughs> those guys, those guys are—I mean—they are hardcore goose hunters. And That's the thing right. is, there's there's no closed season on them. They hunt them pretty much year-round, except for obviously during the the nesting season. Right. Uh, there's no limit on them. I mean, I was I was reading on one of the forums. Um, they use rifles on them sometimes if they don't land in the right what the, what they call a, a field. What we call a field, they call a paddock. Um, sure. It's it's a different it's it's a different culture, but. Um, you got that's great. And I, thank you, Jeff. Like Waterfowlers, man. So it's crazy. And, oh, and I really appreciate the fact that they like our stuff there. Well, we got about ninety seconds left here. Um, Ooh, really? He, yeah. See, you, you talk you a lot. You know that, Kelly? I'm sorry. I really <laughs> stepped all over you there. Um, what? I mean, we got we got plenty of time here. We can keep going after the show is officially over because this thing will keep going for another forty five minutes. But it'll all it'll all be able to be listened to, so don't worry about that part. Um, That's great. So what uh, what other things that you, have you got coming up this year? I mean, if they if they go to your website, they can see all your new calls for this next season or some of the new calls for next season. Yeah, we'll get uh, them up there. You know, they'll be on Facebook before they're before they're actually on the site because it's just faster that way. Um, but yes, the the new calls will be up here as soon as I get the final finals uh, squared away. I'm a pretty picky guy. Um, and, uh, and I think folks, well, actually, actually folks have, have embraced them pretty well. We, we auctioned off, uh, the first, uh, a, a one of a kind on that, uh, 20th anniversary call brought $4,200 at a fundraiser. Holy cow. On yep. Yep. And it was the coolest thing. It was for the Delaware Livestock Expo, which is a youth, uh, uh, show animal event and sale that a friend of ours puts on for the kids of Delaware you know, who are involved in the 4-H programs and so forth. I, it was just so it's great. It's like 4-H around here, right? Pardon me? It's like 4-H around here. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. And it, and it is 4-H kids. Okay. Yep. Yeah, those yeah, things are generally very well attended. Um, a friend of mine owns a, a pretty large franchise here in Wichita, and he goes to their auctions all the time. And, of course, he always buys the biggest uh, Black Angus bull that they have there. You know, he owns a, a restaurant franchise. He owns, I don't know, 35 or 40 Wendy's and uh, some other uh, brewery and stuff like that. And he, he does that. And after he buys the bull, he just takes it out and throws it in the pasture and lets it run around and chase cows. That's all. That's all <laughs> what a life. Now I'm telling you, he's living the dream. <laughs> Someone told me bull. today. So. It's good to be the bull. <laughs> it is good to be the bull, I guess. <laughs> you know, um, you're you got some you got some DVDs on your on your website for how to use your calls and stuff, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. How many? Those? Yes, we have we have oh, four or five different ones. We have uh, actually uh, really the, the from way in the way back machine. We have the uh, calling Canada geese, which will. Uh, show you a person half my size who claims to be me uh, <laughs> teaching you how to blow an eastern shoreman. Um, we've got uh, Calling Snows and Specs, which has... Uh, half your size of, as in height? <laughs> no, no, no. It's me way before carbohydrates. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I used to be like that before you quit smoking. Anyway, everybody thinks it's one of my kids. Everybody thinks it's one of my kids. You know what I mean? Then we got Mastering Children. Yeah, yeah. So we've got some teaching tools up there, and uh, and and you know what? I one of the things is uh, that I, that I really would like to say before we, you know, before we we do sign off or whatever is that um, you know we are. And I mentioned earlier the calls that I make. I make because I have a use for them in the field. They they fill a need for me. Each model fills a need. If there's something out there, or if there if there's something that our our listeners are looking for that they would like us to do, you know, that that will help them better their hunts. Um, you know, tell them drop it on us, and you know, because we are nothing if we're not responding to our to our fellow hunters' needs. You know, Absolutely. I I I was, you know, I consider myself the luckiest guy on the planet. I I got to grow up with the coolest dad in the world who had a gun shop and all this other stuff. Took me hunting, took me fishing. I've gotten to do this kind of thing my whole life and um you know i feel very blessed to be able to do it and i want to do it in such a way that it's valid and what i mean by that is i want to do it in such a way that it helps other hunters other people who have the same you know have as bad as i have it uh you know who've got to do it just as badly as i have to do it right Uh, we want to help them up their game so let us know what you're looking for folks and we will do our best to respond well, I can tell you right now, the folks in New Zealand were being deadly serious about after after you made that comment, um, the little chat board here kind of lit up a little bit uh, about going to New Zealand to verify that they you would probably be treated like royalty over there. Um, I know. That you know, not once they got to know me. <laughs> well, I don't know. They Tim, Tim and Hunter Grounds went over there, and uh, Tim just couldn't say enough about the people. He's, they were just absolutely fantastic. You know, they, they treated him like royalty and. You know, they gave a couple of seminars at some of the with fishing and hunting places over there, hunting fish places that they call it, um, mm-hmm. their outdoor stores. And, yep. uh, you know, I, that is honestly, that's one of those places I've always wanted to go. And, you know, I haven't won anything or done anything of note, but I guess they'll, they'll sell a plane ticket to just about anybody, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, listen, we need to just follow up on that and then just plan a trip because, you know, it's a, see, it's, it's a bucket list item for me. Oh yeah, it's been a bucket list item for me for a long time. Well, I think the the thing that I that I find so amazing about that country, honestly, is that uh, that whole show, the uh, Lord of the Rings, was filmed there. And you look yep. at all the different scenery there, and I mean, I've always I've always been intrigued by that uh, by that country. My father, when he was in Second World War, he spent some time in New Zealand, you know, over there in the South Pacific, and he yep. said it was hands down the most beautiful place he'd ever seen. Um, oh, that's. And New Guinea was hands down the worst place he'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, you know, as you said, Lord of the Rings, and I've seen, you know, I've always seen pictures of of just, you know, some of the trout that people catch there. Oh yeah. Some of the, the animals that they pursue there, and I, you know, recently saw uh, uh, an episode of, of Meat Eater that was filmed there, and I just, you know. Every time I see a picture of New Zealand, 
you know, uh, it just it just reminds me that you know I haven't gotten to that item on the bucket list, and I really would love to do it. My kids are 13 and 11, and they both like to hunt and shoot. And uh, oh, that would be a dream trip. That would be. Wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, they're spoiled. I think I have to go without them. Well, I, tell you, I don't know. I don't know. If I if I tried sliding out of the house with without my family on a, on a deal like that, I wouldn't have a family to come back to. I guarantee. Oh, that. you're right. I you know what I yeah. I wouldn't do that to them. I'd have to take no. them on that trip. And it, but that's a trip that you know. Hey, I'm not getting any younger. I better get it planned. Well, you know something? They have, you know, you. I know you've seen the pictures of those red, those red uh, stags. Oh yeah, the red there. stag. They also have our elk. Well, they don't call them elk. They call them wapiti, which is the Indian name for right. it. Right, right, sure. They, sure. they have those there, and I've seen pictures of the elk that they have there. Holy yep. crap! It, it just well, you know what we've got to tell the guys down there is, and, and I'm sure. Somebody down there has done it already, but an eastern shoreman is a great elk call. What? Yep. Yep. I didn't know that, and I I, I don't understand how you would expect them to do that. <laughs> well, there, just you know what? Just it? make sure that they that they have my my uh, email address, Sean at Seanman dot com. And okay. we get it lined up, and I'll show them how to use them as an elk call as well. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that'd be great. That will be a fun trip. That will be awesome. Well, I hope you guys can put it together because I'm going to do everything in my power to try to get that done here in the next couple of years. My son's already oh. got me committed to go to Alaska, so we're going to yep. do that. And uh, you know what? When I call you tomorrow, I'm going to tell you about it. You, you talk about responding to the consumer. Uh, and as one call maker to another, I'm going to share share an idea I've got with you tomorrow. Um, I kind of throw it out there right now. I'm working on a duck call that when you blow it, it sounds like corn hitting water. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> anyway, man. All right. I know you've had a long day and you've got a long drive in front of you. I want to appreciate tell you I appreciate you coming on the show, Sean. And oh, uh, Kelly, thank you for having me. I want to tell you something else, too, real quick. The young lady you have running your office there, Ray, she is – she is a gold find. I am telling you, you, she's one of those people that just honest to God, um, you're lucky to have somebody like that working for you. You really are. You know, really, really, she's a really good lady. We worked together. Ray was at the Waterfowl Festival. I was when I was still involved, uh, you know, with the World Championship, and um, so I was lucky to, uh, you know, be able to get her to come work with us when she decided to make a change. So. Yes, we feel very blessed by her presence. Well, she's been very she's been very helpful through all the stuff that we've been going through, you know, with orders and whatever, and then and getting this all lined out. And um, it's easy to get frustrated with somebody like me. And she kept her temper, which to me speaks volumes. You know? I mean, you, that's right. Well, you know, she she practices keeping her temper on me. So she was all practiced up by the time we got to talk to you. You already done broker. Is that what you're saying? All right. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Let's do this again. Oh, and I'm being thank serious. you so much. And, I look uh, forward to talking tomorrow, buddy. All right. I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow then. Okay, Sean? Thanks, Kelly. All right. Thanks. Yeah, man. have bye a good evening. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Sean Mann. Uh, Sean Mann game call, or Sean Mann calls. Um, what was I going to say here? Oh, yeah. Um, that, you know, He's got one of the nicest ladies I've ever met working for him, and I never actually have met her yet, but I've talked to her several times, and she's just a super gal. Um, you know, I, I want to get over here and tell everybody thank you for joining us tonight. There was a lot of people who we were having some issues with the sound quality, but, you know, you might have to listen to it, back it up, and listen to it again, but i got a feeling it's going to be one of those shows that you're going to want to keep on on your, uh, on your iPhone or, you know, on iTunes or something for a while because it's a pretty good show. Um, what I wanted to tell everybody was next week I think we're going to have the guys from uh, Gander Valley. Uh, I'll be talking to him tomorrow um, and see if we can't get that scheduled um, for tomorrow or for next Saturday. Uh, gee, many Christmas. My mind's gone fried here. For next Wednesday, okay, I know I'm up against the Duck Dynasty people at this time because we're going into their 9 o'clock showing and whatever, so I just apologize for that. But Anyway, um, a big shout-out to the folks out there, our sponsors. We've got uh, the Duck Hunters uh, Refuge. We have got CallingDucks.com. 
We have got duck hunting chat. Uh, we got caller supply, um, and of course my stuff, Kelly's calls. Uh, Anyway, I just want to tell you guys all thank you very much for joining the show and, and being part of it. Uh, really would appreciate it if you'd tell your friends. Um, the show just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing. Every week I, I look at the numbers and it just amazes me that people keep listening to me act like a nitwit. So, <laughs> you know, um, I appreciate it. You guys have a good evening, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right? Good night and God bless.